Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter 3. We're still focusing on practical Christianity. But I want to encourage you this week, this is Holy Week. This is the week where it begins with Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, celebrated today. And it ends with Easter Sunday morning, a week from today, seven days from now, when we celebrate the resurrection. But if you have your Bibles this week, take and begin in Matthew 21, or Mark chapter 11, and just read the events that happen all during that week. It tells us very distinctly what takes place all during that week, coming up to the crucifixion and then the resurrection. And I hope you'll spend some time, some special time this week, focusing on what Jesus has done for us. And I think when we come to Easter Sunday morning, your heart will be ready to celebrate the victory that he won, not only there on the cross, but he won for us. Amen. If you have your Bibles here in in James chapter 3, we're going to continue to focus on the practical Christian living that, that James teaches us about. Now, I know that sometimes... There's a message that does not apply to you. I can, when I'm preaching, I can tell. I can look at you and say, but that's not applying to me. You know, that's not have anything to do with me. But I want you to know this, okay? Everybody listen. I promise you that this message applies to you. It will apply to you. So do not go to sleep today, all right? Stay awake. It applies to you. Well, it it applies to you unless there happens to be a person here who is perfect. Do we have any perfect people here? Does that that mean they're over there or they're not over over in your section? Do we have any perfect people here today? If you are, we'd love to stand up and see what a perfect person looks like. No, we aren't perfect people, are we? So based on what James is going to tell us, this applies to us because... The only way it wouldn't apply to us if we were absolutely perfect. Now, what is James going to talk to us about today? He talks to us about this, that for a believer, it matters what you say. Listen, for a believer, a child of God, it matters what you say. God cares about what comes out of your mouth. Now, James has a good basis for this because of what the Lord Jesus said. Listen to some of these quotes. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Matthew 15, 11, he says, It's not what enters the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. And he goes on and explains it. He says, The things that come out of the mouth are from the heart. And then he gives a warning in Matthew 12, 36. He says, beware, child of God, every careless word that you speak, you will have to give an account of that in the judgment. So based on what Jesus says about from our heart, it comes out of our mouth. And it's not what goes in the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth that files us and that we're going to be held responsible for what we say. Jesus helps us to understand that what we say really does matter. 
And so James comes along as he does in his practical way and takes what Jesus says and is going to help us to understand it his way. That it really does matter what you say. That's what it says here in chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. Now he begins by that simple statement. And, And he says this. Everybody doesn't need to be a teacher, and everybody doesn't need to aspire to be a teacher. It's okay to be a teacher. If you'd like to be a teacher, go towards that. But understand this, that all teachers are going to be held in a stricter judgment. Believers are going to be judged for God, but those who teach are going to be held in a stricter judgment. Now, why would they be held in a stricter judgment? Because one thing is this, that if you know something well enough, the Word of God, if you know the Word of God well enough that you can teach the Word of God, then you ought to know the Word of God well enough that you'd live the Word of God. Amen? In other words, a teacher can't say that they're ignorant. Well, I just didn't know it. I didn't understand it. I didn't grasp it. If you are able to teach something, you have been able to grasp the truths enough that you can communicate that, help somebody else understand that. Therefore, you understand it, so you have no excuse why you cannot live it. So you can't have any excuses whenever you're a teacher. You know what the Word of God says. You're teaching that Word of God. You need to be living the Word of God. You're going to be under stricter judgment. But the second reason you're going to be in a stricter judgment is that it's one thing for you to believe something. If you believe it right, that's wonderful, and it's a blessing to you. If you believe it wrong, that's not good. It's one thing for you to believe it, though. But if you teach somebody else and you teach them the wrong thing, you're not only going to be responsible for your being wrong, but you're going to be responsible for what? For everybody that you taught that they're wrong. So be careful in the fact that what you teach, that you make sure it's the Word of God. If you're not sure it's the Word of God, say, this is my opinion, but this is not necessarily the Word of God. But you clarify that because you don't want anybody to live as a basis of what you said and therefore do the wrong thing, and it's held to your account. So in other words, he says not everybody needs to aspire to be a teacher. Now, I don't want all my Sunday school teachers to come resign right now. Please do not do that. Well, you just said we don't need to be doing that. So no, that's not what he's saying. He says this, whenever you do teach, realize the importance and the seriousness of your responsibility and do it well. Amen? Do it well. And how do we teach? With our words, what we're going to say. So he moves on. Listen to what it says here in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. Can anybody say amen to that? We all stumble in many ways. Turn to your neighbor and say, Man, I stumble. Turn, turn to them and say, we, we all stumble. We all stumble in many ways. In other words, James says, he's not perfect in what he said. He says, I have the same problems. I have the same issues. I stumble. I sin. I have faults and failures. I do that. We all stumble in many ways. But look what he says here. Here's the truth he's presenting in verse 2. If anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. You know what he said? He said, if anybody does not stumble in what they say, they're perfect. I mean, if if they can control their tongue and, and they never say a wrong thing, then they can control all the other stuff and they can absolutely live perfect. So if you're perfect... You would say always the right thing, but if you're not perfect, then you are going to, at times, stumble in what you say. 
And he already said, we all know that we stumble in many ways, so none of us are perfect. So all of us are going to stumble in what we say. So we need to hear from the Word of God, and and James is trying to help the believers of that day, as well as us, to understand the importance of what we say, and that we need to guard against what we say that would be the wrong thing, and we need to allow somebody to help control us. Somebody to help us to use this instrument of our tongue for a blessing rather than a curse. To help it to be advanced the kingdom of God and be pleasing to God rather than bring judgment in my life. So I need that help. Now James is one of those people whenever he writes, he writes like we carry on conversation. Do you know how you carry on a conversation? You'll be talking to somebody and somebody will bring up a word. And when they bring up that word, it's it's stirs their mind about another subject. They'll start talking about that. And then they come up and somebody else will bring up another word and they'll start talking about that word. That's exactly the way James writes. Let me show you what he says. Look here in verse number two. He says, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well. He used the word what? Bridle. Okay. Now, whenever he brought up bridle, what does a bridle have to do with? What is a bridle? You put a bridle on a horse. Boy, you are smart people. Bridle goes on a horse. So look what he says in verse number three. Now, if we put the bits, wait a minute, bits are a part of what? They're a part of the bridle. That's the part that controls them, okay? That's the difference between a harness and a bridle is a bridle has a bit. It's the controlling part. And if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Then he goes on, he's talking about directing the body. Then he says, behold, the ships also, they are so great and are driven by the strong wind and are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also is the tongue a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. In other words, see how he carries on conversation? It's the bridle, it's the bit, it's just a small thing controlling something big. Oh yeah, by the way, the rudder of a ship is a small thing and it controls something big. And oh, by the way, our tongue is a small thing in comparison to the rest of our body and it is directing us and it is a powerful instrument. You see what he's talking about? That's the way we do conversation. So in this, when he's trying to teach us about tongue, he gives six illustrations He wants to paint a picture for us. He wants to paint a picture for us about our tongue. He says this in regard to that. The bridle, if if you're going to be able to to bridle your tongue, you're going to be able to control your tongue, you'll be able to have that where it be a blessing, then there are a number of things going to take place. His first illustration is about a horse. Any of you ever had horses? Any of you ever ridden horses? Any of you ever fooled with horses very much? Well, if you have, then you understand about a horse. A horse is a big, strong animal, thousand-pound animal. And horses have their own spirit, and they want to do whatever they want to do. The only way that you can get a horse under control is that you have to train them with a bridle, and you put a bit in their mouth. And you know what a bit really does with a horse? A bit, not so much on the pressure on their mouth, it's the pressure on their tongue. When you're pulled on the reins, it rolls that pressure on their tongue. Tongue, you get that on their tongue, and whenever you put that pressure enough pressure on their tongue, then they're really willing to do whatever you would want them to do. And he says in the illustration here, he says, "Now if the bit is in the horse's mouth, so that they may obey us." Here's a key word: 
we direct their entire body as well. These first two illustrations he's going to give is about that your tongue has a role in directing your life. Did you know that? Your tongue is going to play a vital part in directing your life. And it says, just as you put that bridle in the mouth of that horse, you put that bit in the mouth of the horse, that bit and that bridle, even though it's just a small contraption, it has the ability to control that horse. And whatever you want it to do, that horse will do. And it understands the power of the bridle and how it is submissive to the power of that bridle. We've had horses and we had some horses that you couldn't ever catch them. <laughs> they didn't ever catch them. But whenever you finally did get them caught and you put a bridle in their mouth, they were as humble as could be. They did whatever you want because you know why? Because that little bitty instrument of that bit and bridle control that huge animal. Control that huge animal. And he says, that's what the tongue is all about. The tongue is going to set direction. You pull that the bridle a certain way, that horse goes that way. You determine the direction of the horse based on the fact that you've got the bridle. You're going to determine the direction of your life based on this tongue and what you're saying. Well, he gives a second illustration from there. He says there's something else that's small that has a vital role, and that is the rudder of a ship. I mean, the rudder of a ship in relationship to the size of the ship is a very small thing. But that rudder of the ship is what determines the direction of that huge vessel. It uses that rudder and that rudder will move back and forth and determines whether it goes right or left or however that vessel be directed. That rudder, though small, plays an important role in determining the direction, right? The direction. Well, he says... As that has a role in determining the direction of the ship and the bridle has the determination of the direction of the horse, so does your tongue and my tongue have a direction about our bodies. Look there in verse 4. Behold, I mean verse 5. So also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. It boasts of great things. It means it has power. The tongue has power. And you will determine the direction of your life based on what you speak. Based on what you speak and whether or not it's going to be good or bad. Now, hold on a second. The bridle and the rudder, they are powerful instruments to determine the direction of the horse and the ship. So long as, listen now, so long as the person who has a hold of the, of the reins and hold of the wheel knows what they're doing. Amen? <laughs> In other words... I've seen people who've gotten on horses that had bridles and bits in their mouth and the horse would run away because the person sitting in the saddle had no idea what they were doing with the horse or with the bridle. Somebody who is going to be in control over a ship better be a ship master. He better be the captain and he knows exactly where to place that ship and so it doesn't run into other things and destroy things. If somebody doesn't know how to handle the bridle and doesn't know how to handle the rudder, then that which should be determine our direction, that which should be a blessing to us, that which should accomplish God's purpose in our life, if that person does not know what they're doing, it can bring pain and suffering. You write that down. It, it, whoever is whoever's riding the horse doesn't know how to use the bridle. Whoever's on charge of the ship doesn't know how to, to direct the ship. It can bring pain and suffering. Amen. 
That little small instrument can bring pain and suffering. Now, it's not intended to do that. That's not what's supposed to happen. But that's what's happening if somebody's in charge of that small instrument that has a power of determining direction. Let me tell you something. You do not need to be the one holding on to the bridle or holding on to the rudder of your ship. You do not need to be the one who's determining what you say. See, whenever you, whenever you're the one who is who's determining and you're the one in charge of what's going to happen and what's going to be said by your tongue, you are going to be in trouble. Even though that tongue is meant for direction and meant for a blessing and to help you to achieve God's will, if you are in charge of it, you don't know how to do it. You don't have the skill to do it. You don't have the training to do it. And you're sitting up there on top of the horse or in charge of the ship and we're waiting for pain and suffering to happen. You are not equipped to do it. All right? You're just not equipped to do it. But there is one who is equipped to do it. And who is that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who's supposed to be in charge of your life. That's what it means for him to be Lord of our life. He's in charge of our life. He, he's the one who's holding on to the reins. He's the one who's directing the rudder. He's the one who controls your tongue. And see, whenever you let Jesus come and he's ruler over your heart and your life and he's cleaned up your heart and your life and he's taking charge of your heart and your life out of your heart. So we speak. And when Jesus is ruling and reigning in our heart, he will help us to know and he's going to be in charge of our life to direct this tongue to give us blessing and to give us direction and to accomplish God's purpose and plans. But he has to be in charge. I'm telling you, when I'm, when I'm in charge of my tongue, we're all in trouble. But hold on a second. Before you start feeling real good, when you're in charge of your tongue, we're all in trouble too. Amen? Amen. God never intended you to be in charge of your tongue. He, he depended and expected you to be submissive to the lordship of Christ. Let him be the pilot of your ship. Let him be the pilot and the rider of the horse. And the ruler over your tongue. So your tongue determines direction in your life. But here's a warning. The second illustration, here's a warning. He warns that your tongue can be a force of destruction. Oh, no. Yeah, that tongue that's supposed to give direction, a tongue that's supposed to be a blessing, can be a source of destruction. Listen to what he says right here. Verse 5. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. Here it is. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Here's the illustration. A small fire brought in line with a forest creates a... Creates a what? A forest fire. Let me try that again. I'm telling you, y'all got to be smarter than that. A little fire plus... A big forest equals a forest fire. Great. James thought y'all knew that. That's why he used this illustration right here. All right. He says, listen, a little small flame can set apart, can, can make a, a huge, huge fire. And that fire can be destructive. Have you ever seen a forest fire just destroy acres and acres of land. Have you seen a, a fire take over a house and see that which was a beautiful house is now 
in rubble and is just the foundation left. Fire is destructive. And he says this, your tongue has the potential to be destructive. Your tongue has that potential to be destructive. Just like that little bit of fire can set a flame, a forest fire, so your tongue can set forth a fire. Look what it says in verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, and the very world of iniquity, and the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body, and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. Wow, that's pretty strong, isn't it? He says this, your tongue is a fire. I want you to think about it. Your tongue's a fire. And and, and as that tongue's a fire, it has the potential to be very, very destructive. If it goes and says the wrong thing, man, it can set ablaze something you can't put out. It can leave charred all over where your path has been, the destruction of the hearts and lives of people. That's what your tongue is all about. Your tongue has the potential to be destructive. And since it has since it has the potential to be destructive, you need to really guard where you put it and guard what you say. You might say, well, why is my tongue a fire? He tells you right there. Your tongue and my tongue's a fire because the old devil likes to, who has influence, and our old fleshly nature that has influence, that which is the fire of hell, it is in our lives, it works in our lives, it attacks us, and the one area where we have a hard time stamping it down is our mouth. We try to hold it down everywhere else, but the one place it squeaks out is our mouth. And what we say, and but it's just a little fire, it's just a little flame, it's just one match. It'll set in fire that which you cannot put out. It has the power to be destructive. The power to be destructive. That's not all, though. What else he says? The destruction. Verse 7. For every species of beast and birds of reptiles and creatures of the city is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Have you seen these wild beasts? There's all kinds of wild beasts. Now, it says that there are wild beasts out there, and some wild beasts have been tamed. Well, you've seen a monkey who's tamed, haven't you? You've seen tigers and lions that are supposedly tamed. I wouldn't get in there with them, even though they're supposed to be tamed. Amen? You see all kinds of animals that are supposedly tamed. I mean, they have those, those big sharks, orca, orca uh, whales, that down there, that they don't use them anymore, but they used to have them, and they'd go playing in the, in the water with them. they go playing with the water. They can tame anything. It seems they can tame any beast of the field could be tamed. But it says, but even though the beast of the field can be tamed, your tongue can't be. Wow. It's easier to tame a beast of the field than it is your tongue. That's pretty scary, isn't it? That's what he says. But I want you you to change one word in there whenever he says that. In verse 19. I mean, verse 8. I'm sorry. But no one, and that word no one, I want you to put no man. (laughs) No man can tame the tongue. Why would I say no one versus no man versus no, no one? Exactly. We can't tame our tongue, but there's somebody who can. And that's the Lord Jesus. Amen. 
The Lord Jesus is the one who tames our tongue. He's the one who can keep our tongue from being destructive. Now, here's an interesting play in the scripture about fire. James says right here that there's a fire in our mouth that causes destruction. It's the hell fire. It's what Satan wants to do to use destruction. But if you remember on the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, it says that tongues of fire came from God into the hearts and lives of those people that they would bear witness of Christ. Did you know that fire, even though it can be destructive, can also be good? How many of you like to go near a warm fire whenever it's cold? How many of you like to have hot food? How many of you know the power that fire can produce? Fire can be good if it's controlled. If the fire that comes out of our mouths is that which is of destruction, if the fire coming out of our mouth is produced by the enemy, it's going to be destruction. But if the fire coming out of our mouth is the anointing of God in our life, it brings forth life and transformation. Amen? And, and even though our, our tongue is like a beast that we have no hope of training, that we have no hope of taming, There is one who is the creator of every beast. He's the creator of every animal. And whenever he comes and redeems this world, the lion will lay down with the lamb. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Why? Because he brings peace. Well, if he can make the lion lay down with the lamb, he can tame your tongue. He can tame your tongue. He can tame my tongue. But I have to realize that there is potential for destruction, whether it be the fire, whether it be the beast, whatever is the picture of my tongue, there is potential for destruction. I must guard it, and I must have the right one, the right one who's in charge. That's not all. There's another, some other illustration, and it's this, that your tongue is to be a blessing and can be a blessing if you have consistency in your life. That's important, consistency. Verse 9. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Hear what he said? I'm kind of confused, James says. I don't understand. Out of this instrument, we all have one mouth. Out of this instrument and produced by that tongue comes the blessing of God and the cursing of men who are made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth, same tongue. Two things, totally opposite. The blessing of God, the cursing of men who are made in the image of God. And he makes this statement, he said, those things ought not be. That ought not be. There there shouldn't be this inconsistency In our lives, there there shouldn't be this inconsistency in our speech. There there shouldn't be this inconsistency of what our tongue produces. It shouldn't be that way. Then he gives some illustrations to show the importance of consistency. This is what he says about consistency. Verse number 11. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? And whenever you go up to a water fountain, in here in this building or anywhere else in the building, and you go up to that water fountain and you turn that water spigot and you put your head down again, are you expecting good water or are you expecting bad water? Expecting good water, right? 
If you didn't know, matter of fact, I, I guarantee you some of you have been in a situation. Have you ever been in a situation where you saw a dirty water fountain and you thought, like, oh, I'm not going to, I don't know what's coming out of there. You're not going to use it. But if you see one that's clean and you have already trusted it, you bend down and you are going to take in that which you anticipate is going to be good water. But what if it had a sign above that water fountain that said, take your chances. <laughs> take, take your chances. Good water sometime, bad water other times. What are you going to do? I'm going to pass on by. Because if I don't know that consistently coming out of there when it's my turn... It's going to be good water from that fountain. I don't want to have a thing to do with it because the thing that makes it where I can be blessed by it is that it consistently produces good water. And James says, that needs to be you. That needs to be me. We need to have a consistency in our life that what we speak, we always speak. We don't, we don't have church language And then Monday at the office language. We don't have Sunday school speech and then at the ball game speech. And we don't come and act as though we're blessing everybody only by the afternoon to be cursing other people. How can you ever be a blessing if somebody can't depend on you and what's coming out of your mouth? You say, well, Brother Mac, we're not perfect. Exactly. That's where he started. None of us are perfect. So we have to confess our sin, right? We have to confess our sin. We have to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. And we have to say, Lord, help me to be consistent. And here's one thing about Jesus. He's consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and what? And forever. He's always the same. You and I are not consistent, but if he's in charge of our life and he's in charge of our tongue, I can be consistent. I can do that. So he says, in this fountain, is, shouldn't be good water and bad water. That's a work. Also, he says, look at verse number 12. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? He, he said, Here, here's the question. Do you just have to go searching for where the fig might show up? Well, last year it was on a tree. <laughs> and this year it's on a vine. And next year I'll probably have to dig it like a potato. I don't know where those figs are. They're always hiding. They never, they never show up the same place. I love figs, but I can't find where the figs are. Is that, is that, the, way, is that the way you approach figs? Figs are always on a tree. And when you go to that tree, it might not have a fig on it, but if you hold on, it's going to produce a fig. You know why? Because it's a fig tree. It's not going to produce an olive. It's going to produce a fig. Because that which is, is that which it produces. And James is saying this. What, whenever somebody trying to find the fruit of life and that which would bless them, that which they could partake of, can they find it in you? Are you as consistent as the fig tree? Are you consistent? They know that wherever you are, you might not see it right, but wherever you are, you're gonna, it's going to finally be produced by you. Because Why? Because that's who you are. That's who he made you to be. And he closes out with this. He says, neither can salt water produce fresh. And here's the essence of that. 
He said, that which is, is that which is. It is made up that way. Salt water is never going to become fresh water. Barring the fact that Jesus would do a miracle. Amen? I mean, it's never going to become fresh water. It's totally made up. Total chemical differences. It can't be just transformed that way. It has to take a miracle. And he basically says in this, when you have a problem and what's being produced out of your life is not what you want it to be. Don't think that you're going to work harder. Don't think that you're going to try more. Don't even think that you're going to pray about it more to make the difference. What's going to have to happen in you is a miracle. Jesus has got to make you over. He's got to do in you what only he can do. And when he changes you, you're changed forever. And then you can consistently bear that which he has called on you to bear. It is important and it matters what we say. I don't want you to walk out of here in despair and say, wow. Preacher beat me up today. I'm telling you, beat me up. I'm, I feel awful. I feel t- I'm, not, I'm not here to beat you up, I promise you. You know what I want to happen in you? I want you to realize what Jesus wants of you. I want you to see and evaluate your heart for all it is. I want you to evaluate what you say. I want God to convict your heart if it's not what it ought to be. And then whenever you get convicted in your heart that you're not where you ought to be, that you'll ask Jesus to do it and let him do a miraculous work in your life and transform your heart and life and let him be totally and absolutely in charge. Letting him ride the horse, letting him be in control of the rudder, letting him transform that which could be destructive to being a powerful instrument for good. Amen. That which with a beast that could destroy to be able to make it instead of a destroyer, a worker. Amen. To be able to have consistency in our life that whatever and somebody comes to drink of my life, they're always going to get good water. They can depend on that. And that they'll always know that what's being produced out of me is consistent with who I am. Because he made me. He transformed me. So let Jesus do that. Amen. And, and like I said, we started. You don't need to look around and say, boy, I wonder who's he preaching at. I wonder who this message was for. It's for every one of us. Because he said, if we do not sin in what we say, we're perfect. And we already settled, none of us are perfect. Amen. That's the place that gives away quicker than any other place, your heart. Your heart. And that's what it's all about. Let him transform our heart. And when he transforms our heart, what we speak reflects our heart. Amen. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter 
at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.